Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, Hoopsive.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoopsive podcast. On today's episode, former NBA All-Star and the current president of the NBA G League, Sharif Abdurrahim, joins me on the pod to discuss the additions of Scoot Henderson and Michael Foster to the G League Ignite, his thoughts on projected lottery picks Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, who also played for the G League Ignite, and a little bit on his playing career. Sharif, pleasure to have you on the podcast, brother. How you doing? Mike, how you doing? Uh, thank you for having me. Um, all is well. I'm glad to hear. Um, you know, with uh, you having some work that you've just done recently and getting uh, commitments from Scoot Henderson, you already had Michael Foster. But I wanted to ask you first about Scoot. Um, being the first junior to commit to the Ignite, uh, what do you think that that could mean long term for future prospects that are, you know, weighing the pros and cons for their decision of whether they want to go the G League round and, and play for a team like the G League Ignite long term. Yeah, you know, so so I'd say, you know, just clarify, you know, you know, actually, um, you know, Jonathan Kaminga did it, you know, last year. You know, really like he was a, a twenty one kid and he, you know, he graduated high school early and, and came with us. You know, I've like school is a little younger, you know, four or five months younger than um, um, Jonathan, so you know he'll spend you know more time with us. Um, you know, in in my you know you know kind of feel, I think it's something. It it's, it it isn't you know like like this isn't a new phenomenon. Like if you if we look at it, you know, a couple of years ago you had like Nico Mannion, who you know essentially did something similar. He went to Arizona. R.J. Hampton, you know, did the did something similar. Um, you know, at the end of the summer, you know, classed up and went to um, um, went overseas. Anthony Edwards did a similar deal and went to Georgia. Um, I want to say kid Kyra Lewis. You know, so so we've seen this. You know, like this is I think kind of a growing trend. You know, you know, with us, you know, now having Ignite as an option. You know, it just enters Ignite into the conversation. But we've seen you know young players you know doing this like you know before. Um, and, you know, we had it with Jonathan. I think what's new here, you know, what people will be interested in possibly is, you know, with school's age and then, you know, him spending two years with Ignite. No, absolutely. And and that he will be the he will be the first to do that. Um, you know, you also had gotten Michael Foster, who's one of the top ranked guys in the class as well. So what are your thoughts on Michael Foster's game for those who may not be as familiar with him as a younger prospect? Yeah, I think he, you know, he's a big time talent, um, and you know, I think the the time we'll have with him to start introducing him to um, the professional game, um, the style of play, um, the emphasis that we can put on, um, you know, just kind of his overall um, 
um, strength and 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 uh, starting to you know kind of um, dedicate time to his body, um, his understanding of the game, um, you know him knowing where and how he'll you know likely play um, in the NBA, building the foundation. I think would be um, you know awesome for him. You know he's you know just a you know I think he's he's a big big time talent. And then the year with Coach Shaw will be, um, you know, extremely awesome for him. And, and, and then playing against the, the level of competition that he'll play against in the G League. And then I think, you know, in addition to that, like the, the start getting acclimated to, um, you know, everything off the court will be, you know, a big benefit to him. He's just a big-time talent. I think he's multidimensional, um, as you see, like a lot of, young players these days, meaning that, you know, he can play inside and rebound and, um, you know, skill facing the basket, um, you know, really good athlete. Um, you know, there's things that he's still kind of figuring out and learning like all young players. And I think Cosell will be, you know, really great for him and, you know, how he sees the game and how he plays and his approach. And also from the Ignite, looking at head to this year's draft class, you got two guys that, at least in my opinion, and I think the consensus would agree, uh, could be top five picks in Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, from your vantage point, you know, having those guys in the Ignite program, what have been your impressions of both Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and what they could bring to the NBA? Yeah, I think that, you know, both, you know, big time talents. You know, I think they're as talented as any you know, young players in, there in the draft and, and sometimes. Um, you know, I think they fit the way the game is, is being played now at the NBA level and that, you know, they can play multiple positions. They can definitely guard multiple positions. Um, you know, they can, you know, kind of dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, both of them are, you know, just big-time big, big time, um, athletes. Um, so, you know, I think the sky's the limit for them. You know, kind of their intangibles, their work ethic, their intelligence. Um you know, we saw in them this year their willingness to, to compete and take challenges. Um, both, you know, tremendous, you know, young men, I think whichever, you know, whatever organizations get them or, you know, getting get getting top flight people. So I'm you know, I'm I'm really high on them and, and what you know, what the future looks like for them. Do you have a a player comparison for Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga separately? Mm. Jalen is a tough one, um, you know. Um, you know, Coach Shaw does this. He did this with them. You know, I'm, you know, telling uh, some of you know some of the players he compared to Jalen were like Zach Levine. Um, you know, some some like you know in a, from an attacking standpoint, um, Brad Bill. Um, so you know, those were those were you know. Some of the guys, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a different way, um, like a like a um, a younger a younger way, so to speak, of you know, to project a great, you know, not to put pressure on them, but you would project like a, a great great player um, on him, right? Um, and then for Kaminga, Coach, he would, you know, he likened him to um, OG and Anobi and and. and um, and Jalen Brown, who thought they were great, great concussions. But I think, you know, my opinion, I think they're both like really like unique players, right? Like, you know, Jalen's um, quickness and, and ball handling ability, 
um, his athleticism, you know, I think, you know, what's underrated probably about both of them is their passing ability, but Jalen's ability to, to uh, make plays for people um, and, and his ability to kind of just, you know, find unique ways to, like, get in, like, small spaces. Um, and then I think, you know, he has the ability to be a high-level um, defender as well. And then Jonathan, I mean, he, you know, he's probably the most unique player in this draft, and I think he can probably play literally two or three positions, a guard, you know, you know, probably all five positions. Like, I think he has the potential to be a big-time defender. Um, you know, his length and quickness, you know, he takes up a lot of space. Um, you know, he's probably a better passer than people. Um, you know, um, um, no, uh, they both, you know, they both have, you know, areas they have to grow in, but, you know, they're both, I think, really unique players and, you know, really you know, special talent. And you mentioned with Kaminga, Jalen Brown, we, we had coach Shaw on, uh, a couple of months ago on the podcast, he did mention him. I thought that was an interesting comparison, um, you know, as you touch on these guys, you know, both Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga have put themselves in a position to be high draft picks by being in the program and, you know, doing what they had to do. So for me, with that in mind, and obviously for you as, you know, the president of the G League, when you're having conversations with some guys, uh, prospects that are considering making that jump and going to the G League instead of college, why do you think that they should consider that? Uh, for them, what what is kind of the sales pitch, in your opinion, uh, to them if it's the right fit? Yeah, you know, Mike, it really hasn't been a sales pitch. You know, what I what I say is like the approach has been um, to educate them, um, and you know, I think my position has been like if, if you're considering, if they're considering doing, um, you know, taking an option that's other than college, like this would be you know, this should be something they really consider. And, you know, I think the point there would be, um, you know, and why it would be, you know, I think the focus on and concentration on preparing them for um, the NBA, um, you know, on the court and off the court, you know, I think we have unique insight into that. Um, You know, Coach Shaw is a NBA coach, NBA head coach. um, So you have that the ability to start learning from NBA veterans. Um, you're playing, you know, NBA level competition. You know, Jalen, for example, he was, you know, he matched up against guys like Gary Payton II, um, Kevin Porter Jr., um, you know, guys that he'll see in in the in the NBA, um, and that that are NBA players, right? So in, in that that's a unique the pace and kind of flow of our game is you know, just different from anywhere else, right? Anywhere else you would play. Um, so, you know, I, I think that challenge, but again, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I, I don't approach it as, you know, why, you know, why did you leave a white night over, any, you know, another, you know, um, option, so to speak. I gotcha. And I mean, for you also being the president of the G league, you got a lot of different things to, go over on a day-to-day basis. So I was curious, what are you, what are some of those things that you're working on with the G league looking ahead? You know, whether that's, you know, with the, the Mexico city G league team or anything else coming up on the horizon that, uh, listeners and, and readers on hoops, I should keep uh, an eye out for. Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, we, 
you know, it's, it's been about 18 months since our teams have been in there, you know, or will be about 18 months since our teams have been in their home markets, right? Um, so, you know, just getting our teams back into their home markets, um, you know, kind of re, um, restarted there. That's like priority number one and making sure our players are safe and healthy. Um, you know, we, our players are now unionized. So, you know, working with the union to, you know, outline what will be, um, our first collective bargaining agreement, um, is, is top of mind. And then, you know, I feel like, you know, the G League is, is, you know, in introducing, you know, players and, and you know, staff that are the future of basketball. So continuing to kind of outline the, the strategy and, and lay the infrastructure for, um, you know, just that, you know, the future of basketball, where it's, whether it's, um, you know, these young players, you know, players that have come from college that are, you know, on their way to, to NBA stardom, you know, get they start get their starts with us, the you know, Fred Van Fleets and, and and you know Pascal Siakams, the Seth Curry, these players like beginning beginning to tell their story. Um or it's like new ideas and new rules, you know, one for two free throws and, and those sort of things. So it's it's those, you know, it's encompassing all of that, our teams and, you know, um you know, how they, how they restart. Um, it's, you know, kind of, you know, laying the, the groundwork for, um, you know, future kind of future players, future rules, um, and so forth. And, you know, we've obviously touched on thus far, uh, your role as the G league president and, and talking about guys that are playing now, but you had a decent career yourself. You know what I'm saying? You've been an all-star before. And we were part of that heralded 1996 draft class, which, I mean, in my opinion, certainly think it's the best of all time. I know it's up there with the Jordan class and the LeBron class for sure. Um, with that in mind for you, being a part of it, I wanted to get your perspective on where you thought that 96 draft class ranks and what sticks out to you when you think about that collection of talent that you were a part of and you know, a bunch of other all-stars and future Hall of Famers that were in that class with you. Yeah, I, I think what sticks out to me, you know, one, you know, I just remember, us, you know, you just remember guys being so young and, and um, excited. And, I mean, that's like still like very um, real to me, right? Like that, that memory of just being at the draft and, you know, see the conversations you had, right? And, you know, the draft was a production, but it wasn't as big of a production as you see now. And, you know, but, but, you know, so that sticks out to me. I think what, you know, what is, you know, what I think that draft signified is like just a, a very, very unique in, in that, in, in, in this way, right? Like, I think like AI was maybe the, the smallest, um, number one pick of all time at that time, you know, is, um, you know, he was such a, a unique player, uh, you know, so, you know, unique in that sense. I think Candy was so unique, right? And, um, you know, Antoine Walker, very unique player, right? Like the, you know, kind of start with starting, you know, Kevin started the wave of, of young players, of, of high schoolers coming in and then Kobe and Jermaine O'Neal um, you know, continued it, 
right? So it's like all these unique factors. Uh, Stefan and myself, we were like, I would think like the front end of like, you know, one, one and done, right? Like that wasn't even a concept or, or, or a tagline at the point at that time, right? Um, and then you had all of these, you know, successful players that I don't think people or players that has like just out of this world success that no one would have, you know, imagined that, you know, you get a two-time all-star that was like the bottom of the lottery, right? You get a high school kid that was an MVP and just all-time great. You get a Hall of Famer and four-time defensive player of the year and Ben Wallace that was undrafted, um, right? You know, so I think you just had all of these, you know, unique personalities, unique skill sets, um, you know, mashed into, um, uh, uh, you know, this our draft class, um, and it was, you know, in some ways, you know, just really unique that way. And then, like, where we rank, you know, the thing I have, you know, my father would always talk to me when I was a kid about, like, Oscar Robinson and how great Oscar Robinson was and he averaged a triple-double. And, you know, he, like, you know, you can't say, you know, he his point to me would always be, you know, we couldn't say, you know, whatever player was the greatest of all time because you got to think of Oscar, right? He thought the triple-double, or you got to think of Bill Russell who won 11 rings. So I've I've always tried to refrain from, you know, what's better than, you know, things that I, I didn't have a great comparison against because I didn't see it or, you know, I wasn't a part of it. It was just it, like it, it was the before, right? It laid the groundwork. So I have a hard time saying that that class is better than, you know, the other note, the noteworthy classes before. And, you know, I think the class that's in comparison is like 84 with, um, you know, with MJ, right? I think that's the class. Is that the class? Uh, yeah, MJ, I forget exactly which year it was, but MJ's year. And I mean, those are the three that I've always heard with, you know, including you guys in 96 was the MJ year and the LeBron, Mello, Wade uh, draft yeah, class as so, well. So I have a hard time, like I have a hard time saying it's better than the MJ year. Right? As great as our class was, and I give you, you know, we got multiple, you know, Hall of Famers now, and, you know, MVP guys and you know, this great great class like i have a hard time putting it ahead of that class right now i think everything after it you know like lebron and those guys are great but i don't think you know i thought you know i don't think it compares to the 96 class and you know in my opinion i think their class is great and it's like top heavy but you know again like you had players you know irison you know at the very top you know, had great careers then you had guys like you know ray allen you know and then you go you know again like further down in our you know, Paige Stoyakovic, multi-time all-star. Um, Jermaine O'Neal, multiple all-star. Um, Steve Nash, two-time MVP. Kobe, like bottom of the lottery MVP and just all-time great. Like I said, Ben Wallace, like undrafted player. Um, you know, Derek Fisher. You know, guys like that that people don't even realize that were in our draft that, you know, just big, big-time um, um, NBA players. So, um Great, you know, all great classes, and you know that's just a great time. But like I said, I have a hard time putting putting that class, putting '96 above, you know, the really great guys that led the laid the groundwork for us. But you know, all of those, all the young guys, you know, <laughs> I, I'll take us. That's an interesting perspective because you got a point on you know LeBron, uh, Melo, and Dwayne that that draft class. Plus, they still LeBron's still <laughs> going, and Carmelo's still going as well, which is. Kind of fun to see all these years later. And then for you guys, um, I think it was just the totality. And, you know, even touched on Ben Wallace, a guy that was undrafted, became a future Hall of Famer, four-time defensive player of the year. Um, And 
yeah, like just the overall depth of it. Uh, Jordan's year was certainly interesting, and I I think that it, it's interesting to you know hear you guys pay homage to them and, and that class because they were certainly elite as well. And I think it's uh, to some people it is a co- uh, coin toss there, so that's interesting. Now, in your draft class, you know it's always funny, uh, interesting. Now talking with guys. Um, the younger guys that have been in the league a few years and and the build up to the draft for you leading up to that draft where you were eventually selected by Vancouver. I was curious from your perspective, if one, did you think that you were going to end up in Vancouver or did you hear of any like trade talks beforehand? Cause it's always interesting to hear that stuff like on Years later, like I remember talking to Rod Thorne about the Nets with Kenyon Martin and how they went through their process and they almost went uh, with another player and and there was trades on the table. So for you, did you know that you were going to Vancouver or was there any other trade talks that maybe you thought could land you elsewhere? No, I knew pretty much. I I was kind of like the last guy to put his name in or to keep his name in the draft. Um, I knew that I visited, you know, both Toronto and Vancouver and, you know, Toronto told me, you know, they were really high on Camby, but, you know, I was making it tough for them and, you know, they, they could take me into, and then, you know, like Stu Jackson, who was the general manager there, he was like, look, just come to Vancouver. You don't even have to like, you know, don't even go to the draft, like just come, you know, be here and we, we're going to take you. And so I knew I wasn't going you know, I felt pretty good. I wasn't going to go below three. I mean, it's always, a, you know, it's always anxiety and, and, you know, anxiousness. You know, I think the biggest thing for me is like, you know, going to visit Vancouver. Um, I don't remember if it was before the draft. I think it was before the draft. And I'm, you know, leaving the Bay Area, like leaving Oakland with my agent and um, asking him like where Vancouver was, right? Like I was a kid from Georgia. <laughs> I'd never grown, you know, like California. Um and and, and I, so I had no idea where Vancouver was, and this thing to me was like, it's like man, it's it's right next to it's right next to Seattle, and you know we had played the University of Washington that year, so I you know I had a feel for that. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, and I was you know from there I was fine, and you know that led to like the start of my career, and I had you know just five great years in Vancouver and getting to learn about Canada and the culture of Vancouver and the people there um, were really good to me and you know, kind of took me in, but it was, you know, it was a great time. Yeah. And when, when you went there, you effectively became the face of that franchise during the time you were there, um, you know, while they were trying to rebuild and whatnot uh, as a younger team. One one thing I was curious of was, um, well, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit about your time there, that it was good. One thing that was interesting was, you know, as they were trying to form the team around you, I always wondered from your perspective what maybe it could have been if uh, Steve Francis had ended up going there and not and ended up playing there and not gone to the trade for um, to Houston. Did Do you ever wonder what could have been and, and what your thoughts were when he made it clear like he didn't want to go there? No, I thought, you know, I thought like the approach that um – but we took in, in Vancouver, and like the comparison is always like Toronto, right? And, you know, I think uh, Isaiah, he was running Toronto. I think the, the approach he took, he started, you know, um, you know, retooling and adding veterans. And, 
you know, our approach was a little longer and, and then Stu was kind of building through the younger players. It was like, you know, at the end it was like myself and Big Country and Michael Dickerson and Mike Bibby. Um, and we started, you know, we started turning the corner. You know, we had a year there with like Lionel Hollins was our coach and he had took over, um, you know, we went on the road and won like four or five in a row. We had never done that. Um, and then, you know, the team, the team was sold. And, you know, um, you know, everything changed. I thought at the end, like my third or fourth year, we started building momentum towards, you know, at least starting to understand what it would take to win and, you know, building some continuity. Like, believe it or not, like Lawrence Frank was like a behind-the-bench coach. He was like, I guess, and, you know, we didn't have, you know, quote-unquote, like development coaches, but he was like our our development coach, so to speak, right? Um, and he was like advanced stuff. Um, and, and so we had, you know, we, we just started building chemistry. Jay Triano, who, you know, is a, I think he's assistant now in Charlotte, but was Toronto's head coach and been other places, Phoenix head coach. But he was like our, he was actually like our radio, you know, one of our radio guys back then. So, but we were starting to build like continuity and understanding. And then, you know, the team was sold. Um, and Mr. Heisley, who, you know, he was, you know, I think a great owner and you know, a really good man. He he eventually moved the team to to Memphis, but I think that kind of break of the team. That's probably the thing I think of is like if we could have kept things together a little a little longer, um, what that would have you know what that would have meant for us in Vancouver and how basketball could have turned around because we were like close at that time we were like close to becoming a better team and we were like all young guys um, we, were, we were like young guys trying to figure out how to win. And it was like young guys teaching young guys. And, you know, you don't really appreciate what the veterans do for you. Um, so, you know, that's probably the thing. You know, if we could have stayed in Vancouver and we could have kept that group together and, you know, kind of kept building the momentum that we were building in, in year, like year three or year four with Lionel, um, you know, what could have been. Um, but, you know, we had the right, you know, like Steve did what was right to him. Um, and he, you know, he did great in Houston, but we had, you know, like I said, you know, I think what we were building as a quarter was like, you know, Bibby and, and Michael Dickerson and myself, um, you know, big country was a big part of it. Um, it was like, we were headed the right way, you know, but you know, that, that never, you know, never got a chance. Really. And as you touched on it, it didn't have that chance. And you ended up going to Atlanta, uh, in the Pau Gasol trade, uh, which at the time was, Definitely a headline kind of move for for both teams looking to shake it up. Um, for you, I was curious. You know, it's a little different back then versus now. Maybe some players will hear it on even Twitter and get a notification before anything. But how did you find out about the uh, trade to Atlanta, and what what did you think of making that switch? Because you were playing with Jason Terry at the time, and it was a it was yeah, a high scoring you know, move. Yeah, um, you know, I you know. Like I said, Mr. Isaiah bought the team like my third year or so. And, you know, his thing to me was like, give me a year and, you know, let's figure out, let's look at, you know, what we're doing. Um, and, and, you know, give me a year, let me look at the team. And at the end of the year, if, if we're not going in the right way or we, we can't take leaps, I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll make sure you go somewhere that's a good place for you. Um, you know, because I was, you know, I was, you know, moving beyond like just being a young player, I wanted to start, you know, moving in a, you know, a direction where, where we were getting better. Right. Um, so, and, and so, so at the end of that year, you know, he knew he was going to move the team 
you know, really, you know, it's going to probably be, you know, kind of a step back. You know, I think he's going to trade, you know, Mike Bibby too. So, you know, he came to me and told me like, look, this is, you know, kind of had some, you know, options. Atlanta for me was home. Um, so, you know, I was, you know, I was excited for the opportunity uh, in, in Atlanta for sure. Yeah. And obviously you had some uh, good years there. And I was curious too, it, it, as you, outside of the NBA, you had a chance to play on that gold medal team at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And I was curious for you that obviously that's other than like, I would say maybe being uh, in the hall of fame that to be a part of an Olympic gold medal team is, is a tremendous honor. So for you, what was that experience like and any fun stories from behind the scenes with those guys? Yeah, I mean, you got a few, you know, you always have these things you want to accomplish as like a young player, right? Like, you know, you want to be, you know, you want to be an all-star. You want to, you know, win an NCAA championship. And for me, like playing in the Olympics and winning a gold medal was like one of those things from like early, you know, like early, kind of early days of, of goals that I set, right? So um, that was, you know, that was just like one of those things you probably, you know, you set as a goal, you never think you're going to accomplish, but, you know, I was, you know, fortunate enough to, to be able to accomplish. So that's, you know, that was just, that's huge for me. and something that, you know, probably goes down as like a highlight of my career. Um, you know, I, I'd say, you know, beyond, you know, beyond that, like the experience of, you know, one, you know, being around those guys, I think one of the bigger misnomers about NBA players is like everybody is friends and everybody knows everybody, everybody hangs out. And, you know, the truth of it is like, you know, you know, other than your teammates, like you never really see guys, or at least at that time, I think guys do a better job now, like, you know, meeting up and hanging out and doing things in the summer, but you didn't really, you know, and then, you know, when the season's over, you go home to, you know, wherever you live or, hang out with your family and your group, but you didn't as much hang out. And, um, you know, Kevin, like I knew Kevin from high school and, you know, a few times we played against each other, but we had never spent a, a lot of time together. You know, Jason was like a child guy, um, but, you know, we didn't, you know, so that time of like seeing those guys, getting to know those guys, I, you know, learned from, learned from older guys. Like I hadn't had the experience of like having, you know, like real veterans to learn from. I learned in six weeks, I learned a ton from those guys about how to approach the game and how they approach the game that I still keep with me. Um, and, and then, you know, like we, you know, opening ceremony with everyone, you know, like Steve Smith and I, we like go, you know, watch table tennis or, you know, go watch track and field, like that stuff, you know, we, you know, we didn't stay in the Olympic Village. We stayed like in a hotel that was far out. It wasn't a lot going on out there. So like every night or every evening, like we go, like I mean, literally the whole team would like go bowl, and you know, like I'd be on the team with like Gary Payton, and you have him, like me and Gary playing against like Steve and Ray Allen, or you know, Ray and and and, and Jason. You know, so it was like like that stuff is like the stuff in our families, like my wife and like Steve's wife became, you know, really good friends from that time. So that's the stuff, like, you really take with you. And, you know, I remember seeing, like, Jermaine Taylor, the boxer, I met him at in the opening ceremonies, right? Like, that stuff, you know, before anybody knew him, right? Like, that's the stuff you you remember. That That's an awesome life experience. I'm also, as you're telling me the story, I'm picturing Gary Payton talking trash at a bowling alley, which <laughs> I could only imagine. Um you know, for you, as you then look back on the totality of your career, 
I was curious your thoughts on it overall in terms of uh, was it what you thought it would be? Any uh, regrets or what were the highest moments What when you look at it overall? No, I think, you know, I think as you, you know, I, you know what, I'm 10 or 12 years now, 12 years or so from retirement, right? So, I mean, it's almost like, you know, I'm like fighting to remember things, fighting to stay in touch with guys, right? Because you, you get so removed for, from it and, and, and become like this different person doing these different things. Um, I think, you know, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm like at peace and, and really, really thankful for the experiences I had as an NBA player, right? Now, all the things that it opened up to me, you know, you know, what I was able to do for my family and my community, you know, through that experience, um, the platforms and people that introduced me to, um, is, you know, just, you know, phenomenal. There's a point, you know, in my career where you always want more. You're competing against other guys. You're competing against yourself. And, and that's, you know, hard, you know, that, that part, it takes, you know, it takes some of the, the, the joy, you know, out of the experience, right? Like once I retired, my wife told me, she like, you know, when you were playing, I, I did not like being around you during the season. Like you were awful to be around during the season. And it like, it shocked me. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, it's like, you know, if you guys lost and, you know, when you were on like the bad team, like you were just miserable. And, and, you know, in the summers you were, you know, obviously you were fun. So, you know, like that stuff, you know, you don't, you know, like you never know that stuff. So you live with it. Like if you're competing and you're going, like you live with it um, so much. So, yeah, like, you know, you know, I think you look back like, you know, I wish, you know, if you look at my teams, I wish I was like on some, you know, better teams here and there. But in, in its totality, I think everything that I experienced, um, the people that I've met, the places I've been, it's, it's led me to, you know, where I am right now. And I, you know, I, lo- I love what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, my family, you know, everything. So, it, it, you know, everything, you know, unfolded the way it was supposed to. You know, I think, um, you know, obviously you always, you know, um, you know, want more. I think that's human nature. You want more. But I'm, you know, really at peace and content and thankful, you know, more than anything for like, you know, what I was, I, you know, I was able to do something that I dreamed about as a as a kid. And, you know, that's not, and then I'm, and I'm still, you know, in the mix. I'm still you know, living through it. So, so I'm, I'm really thankful. Absolutely. And who knows, maybe, uh, maybe your son Jabri one day, uh, who just, uh, transferred now and is playing some college ball. Maybe we'll see him one day in the pros. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, you know, that would be, even, you know, maybe even better than me being there. Right. Sure. It'd be, you know, I'm sure, you know, you live obviously your own life in the NBA, but to, to be a parent and to share those experiences, that'd be pretty neat, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's no doubt. That's yeah, that's what it's all about. So, um, but I mean, he, you know, he'll go. He got his journey and his path, and he's going through it, and he's doing. Um, you know, I'm really proud of him. You know, we, we pull for him, so it's, um, you know, it's fun. You know, like it's it, it's fun to you know watch him and you know watch all the, you know, younger guys coming up. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm blessed. Absolutely. And I mean, Sharif, certainly from my end, I appreciate you hopping on the line with me. A lot of exciting stuff going on in the G League, both looking at this draft class and looking ahead. Uh, look forward to seeing what other ventures you're going to have with with the league. And, you know, it's obviously a pleasure to talk to you about your career, too. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on. And I'm a, uh, a big hoop type um, guy, you know, from the early, early days is how, you know, consume my, my NBA and basketball content. So great job and I you know, love everything that you're doing. I appreciate the kind words, brother. Thank you. Um, you know, certainly uh, I'll have to get up sometime once, uh, once you're back in the city. But like I said, I wanted to thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for hopping on the line, rather, excuse me. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in as well. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from current and former NBA players like Sharif Abdurrahim, coaches, executives, and media members. You can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter, at Mike A. Scotto. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.